Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So my favorite part of the, of the Trump tweet storm was that he spells tap with two P's. I also like that. I also like that he has uh, that he separated the word wire from the word tap. Wire tap. Right, there's a wire, and you tap it. He had my wires tapped. You tap on it like like. But it actually sounds faintly obscene when you say like (laughs) faintly obscene, (laughs) outright obscene. Hey, do you want to tap my wires? wires? No, no, thank you. Hard pass. pass. I'll pass pass. with two P's. Oh my god. It's going to be that kind of a day. Hello and welcome to Rational Security, the Tap My Wires edition. <laughs> Baby, you can tap my wires. <laughs> I'm Shane Harris. Not long for the Wall Street Maybe Journal. Maybe don't name the rest of us. I'm here with two anonymous friends who shall name names. Who don't know you. <laughs> this is happening because Tammy's not here. This is. It's true. This Tammy's is what gone, happens when Tammy goes out and of it town. Goes when in Tammy the goes to Iraqi Kurdistan, no less. <laughs> oh, this is why it's especially bad. <laughs> She's going very far away. Yeah, she is now, uh, but she is still subject to FISA oh, because good. she's a U.S. person, even when she is in uh, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. When So if... If former President Barack Obama wants to tap her wires, he is going to have to go to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court because she is a U.S. person and he's going to have to demonstrate that she is an agent of a foreign power. That's that's true. Yes. That's Um, the truest thing that's been said in this whole conversation. Even if she's in Iraqi Kurdistan. Even if you're there. You are FISA, a U.S. You person, are. no matter where you go. <laughs> That's right. And it's so what's is, in your heart. And so is the president of the United States. Ay, ay, ay. It's been a week. Um, all right. So, yeah. This week on the show. Oh, I am here with Ben Wittes and Susan Hesse, of course. Hi. Hey. Most people figured this out by now. <laughs> Appearing on a podcast is not an endorsement of the jokes, <laughs> much like retweets. <laughs> Susan is not happy. By the way, can I just say, speaking of, of that comment... Of course, retweets are endorsements. Can we cut this yeah, fiction? Yeah, can we kind of get past that like, too? At least most of mine. Sometimes I retweet things that I don't agree with. Yeah, I do retweet like the things that I think are especially offensive. When but you I re- try to like make a mark of my disapproval. Right. When you retweet something in with a negative endorsement, you add a comment to it. Yeah. You never just retweet something with no comment because right. you think people shouldn't read it. I guess, although sometimes I retweet things like that I plan on reading or, or like I think are interesting. I haven't read them That's yet. That's what the heart's for. I wouldn't want to endorse it. Yeah, but then the heart feels like you like it or like it's it's approval. Yeah, they changed it. It used to be I a think, star. I think rational security readers should know when I retweet something, unless it's with an annotation that says, you know, this is absurd or I don't believe this, you can take a retweet as an endorsement. And I want rational security listeners to know that everything that I tweet 
can be directly attributed to my employer, Benjamin Wittes, <laughs> word for word. And that's how you should take everything I say. That's tweet. right. I'm responsible not merely for my own Twitter feed, but Susan's as well. It, it reflects the views of my employer. <laughs> Tweets and RTs endorsed by Ben Wittes. All right. On the show this week, Donald Trump accuses Barack Obama of tapping his phones or his wires and all hell breaks loose. WikiLeaks releases thousands of pages of information uh, on CIA hacking tools and North Korea launches missiles that may or may not have been hacked by the NSA. Um, so let's let's start with the Saturday tweet storm. I mean, it, was, it was supposed to be a very quiet weekend. The White House was anticipating after a successful speech, which the president stood before Congress and read from a teleprompter for one hour, that everything was coming back on normal footing. And then come a series of tweets that Trump had just learned that Barack Obama ordered his wires tapped, the wires in Trump Tower, um, you didn't miss this, of course. Everyone knows about this, but kind of bringing us up to speed on where we are today. White House aides seem to be backing away quickly from this allegation, and on the one hand, not offering any evidence for it, but not trying to shoot it down, but not exactly endorsing it. Um, yeah, it's and bro, and Barack Obama is very much not happy about allegations that he's tapping somebody's wires. And apparently, according to the New York Times, neither is the FBI director. Right, exactly. Because of course, this is uh, the accusation here is both that the former president of the United States and uh, federal agents have committed a crime in illegally tapping his. Phone. Right. So let's let, so let me just enter this thing where I've just been puzzling over this. Do we think that the president of the United States is just making up stuff? And out there and just flatly accusing the former president of things that he knows are not true, <clears throat> that he knows would be completely outside the bounds of how wiretaps are actually ordered. Or is he picking up stuff that he read in Breitbart or somewhere else or that was given to him by his aides and conflating it? And if that's true, if either of those things is true, is he dropping this now as a distraction or is he or is something else motivating this kind of sense of paranoia and outrage? So I have two possible theories on this. Um, one is sort of the um, uh, innocuous explanation, although it has its own sort of uh, issues. And then one is my more sort of conspiratorial, uh, uh, malevolent sort of explanation for the for the tweet storm. Um, so first sort of innocent explanation is that, that Donald Trump is an idiot, that he doesn't know anything about FISA or Title III or the structure of the United States sort of constitution and the role of the judiciary and even doesn't even understand sort of the, the fundamental uh, uh, sort of basics of his own executive authority. And, and so he saw some article, you know, in Breitbart or wherever, uh, he decided to sort of tweet this out, like, because without any sort of verification, but also because he just he could not understand the implications of what he was saying, even right, even, uh, it's not even necessarily clear that he understood if it, that that would be a crime, or that that's not something the president could do. Right. So he just sort of impulsively, you know, says whatever, um, uh, in no way predicting this kind of really strong response. Uh, uh, response. My other uh, more worrying sort of theory, um, and, and it's not that, oh, you know, Donald Trump secretly is like a FISA expert and knows everything, and this is this huge sort of strategic thing, but instead of that um, the White House has really, really significant fears that additional information is going to come out, um, that maybe lots of people were under some kind of investigation. They've seen the damage that's been done each time there's a new revelation, not only of contacts with Russia, but that uh, the FBI 
right, in, was investigating or looking into contacts, right? That was sort of, that was the Michael Flynn story, the allegations, but they weren't significant until there was an understanding that the FBI was actually investigating that. And so what this is in sort of in, in a ham-fisted kind of way is an attempt to change the story from the substance of someone connected to Donald Trump was engaged in conduct that was suspicious enough to uh, to merit investigation by the FBI, whether or not they were ultimately able to substantiate uh, criminal conduct or counterintelligence conduct or whatever else, and instead to make it about the facts, right, that Obama was wiretapping, right, that, that, that this was, it was the spying or the looking into this sort of these investigations that was that's the real crime that's here real that crime. I'm the real victim yeah. and that that now moving forward as you know to the extent there are more people that actually have been picked up by you know in, in the course of this uh, apparently very wide-ranging investigation um, an investigation in which it's entirely plausible there are both FISA warrants and Title III warrants on any number of actors although very very unlikely on Donald Trump or anyone mm-hmm. at Trump Tower um, uh, that as those revelations come forward, the allegation or or sort of the story now is not going to be, hey, more evidence of really scary, really profoundly troubling stuff out of his sort of campaign and associates. But instead, doesn't this prove the president's point? And was it illegal or wasn't it illegal? And so that it, whether strategic or not, is going to have the effect of just being really diversionary in this kind of, you know, slow burning story that we're seeing that I think Trump is starting to understand is just not going to go away. So I actually think the actual explanation is probably much uh, closer to the first than the second, though uh, I do believe that they have uh, having the president having uh, you know, put his foot in this particular pile. Uh, the White House has definitely since tried to shift to make it as much about the latter as possible. Um, and you know, because they clearly like know or think that he's just wrong, right? No, no. Yeah. It, so it it is clear <clears throat> when the president says something like that, and the White House is repeatedly answered asked the question: Is there is that based on any information or just on Breitbart? And they can't answer the question with reference to any information. Uh, they can merely say there's been news stories, and that's a very generous way to describe the Breitbart story in question. Although um, it is relying on other reported stories, including from some reputable organizations. Well, right, but, 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 but those but, are also inconsistent reports. Right. So number number one. Uh, those are inconsistent reports. Number two, they're inconsistent reports that other news organizations did not pick up and repeat. Yeah, and we've and num- tried. <laughs> and number three, yeah. and most importantly, they are reports that absolutely do not support the tweets that the president made. Right. The, the alleg- you know, and, and a lot of people have, you know, confused this and said, well, you know, the president's tweet is a, you know, is is a reference to this Heat Street and BBC and Guardian and Breitbart and, you know, to a lesser extent, the New York Times, none of which reported, by the way, that Barack Obama ordered, number two, a wiretap against number three, Donald Trump or Trump Tower. And so, you know, if that is the source, if those are the source of the information, and it's pretty clear that, you know, it is, I think, because the White House surely hasn't come forward with any suggestion that they have anything else. 
Uh, it is a gross mischaracterization. Uh, another way to put it is a bald-faced lie uh, based on some uh, tendentiously read, uh, you know, stories that may themselves be incorrect. I want to look at Jim Comey in this role, too. You know, and, and Jim Clapper did, by the way, come out the former DNI and said that there's no wiretap that he's aware of on FISA against Trump Tower. But it strikes me that you know the, the situation that we're in right now, this is where a, a very concrete example of how statements by the president, this president, can cause this completely self-inflicted crisis of governance, right? So the president comes out and says something for which there is no basis, is either it could be a lie, it could be a misunderstanding, it's just not true. The White House is then forced to comment on an allegation that's not true, says it will not comment on it, then goes and asks Congress to investigate something that it has no reason to believe is true, forcing the FBI director to be in the position of wanting to come out and say it's not true, but not being able to because he can't comment on an investigation. I mean, and here we are, right? I mean, nobody can just come out and say the damn thing isn't true. So, 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 so let me say, let me start this by saying that I actually Sean Spicer got a lot of criticism for for referring this to Congress. I one hundred percent support that. I think. That um, if you know the White House wants to fold this into the investigation, and certainly any time the President of the United States says that his predecessor engaged in uh, flamboyantly illegal activity, that is a proper with respect to the intelligence community. That is a proper thing for the intelligence committees uh, to examine, satisfy themselves that 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 whether that is true or not. My one caveat. Uh, to what Sean Spicer said on this uh, is that it's really important that if, and maybe I should say when, what the intelligence communities committees discover is that in fact what the president tweeted was a bald-faced lie, that they be prepared to say that. Um, but I think it's I think kicking it to the intelligence committees is a is under the circumstances when the you know the poor white house staff can't contradict the president and the president isn't inclined apparently to either correct the record or says how he knows that i think that's actually probably the only latitude you've got now jim comey is in a slightly different position because he actually has the integrity of the fbi uh, you know, not merely the uh, you know American public to serve, but he's got an institution that uh, is has been accused of illegality, and I think for him to demand, as the New York Times reported that he has, that the Justice Department uh, correct the record to the extent that the president has mischaracterized the behavior of the FBI, that strikes me as a very reasonable thing for him to be insisting Which, of course, on. the DOJ can't really do since the attorney general has recused himself from the Russia investigation. Yeah, I mean, like, I I do think uh, I agree. Like, we should all uh, uh, welcome this newfound support for a serious independent congressional inquiry. In fact, I think this is probably a, a good example of why uh, Mitch McConnell should go ahead and establish that select committee uh, to really investigate these issues uh, uh, thoroughly. And Susan and I wrote a piece wrote a about piece. exactly that issue. Laying which you it out read. for all of you. And I think one of the things about that is going to prove to be one of the most consequential 
parts of, of or, or sort of outcomes of this uh, ill-advised tweet um, is going to be, it really does appear to have freaked out uh, members of Congress, specifically in the Senate. Um, so Ben Sass came out with a statement saying that the country is in the midst of a civilization warping crisis of public trust. Which is a good phrase, by the way. Which is a great phrase. Um, you know, Sass, of course, a uh, senator from Nebraska, um, you know, Republican, uh, although has sort of never was quite in the never Trump camp, but it has been sort of a principled conservative in the Senate. Um, you know, really, this has uh, this has gotten people uh, uh, and members of Congress to really come out and say, okay, these statements are damaging the fabric of sort of U.S. society and the basic legitimacy of the government. And it's time to step up and and correct this. And so, you know, lo- well, look, the um, uh, they're they're sort of falling short of saying the president of the United States is a liar, and everybody knows it. And so, let's start talking about the consequences of that. They do appear to be moving this into. Uh, a recognition that it is now Congress's role to step up and restore the public trust. And that's the role of legislative investigations. Um, and I think that that is something that is having more and more resonance in, uh, you know, in the GOP-controlled Congress, in part because I think these tweets scare people. I think they really uh, uh, reveal sort of the danger of having this kind of undisciplined, dare I say, unhinged president who's willing to just kind of throw accusations out there and then after the fact, uh, not just uh, uh, then try and, and, and establish the facts, but actually to then try and prove his statement, right? So it's not that he then went out and said, you know, hey, is what I just said true or false? It's, you know, that that apparently he even uh, floated the idea of having a, a private investigation outside of the right. government into whether or not this happened. Right. right? Sort of a, all right, I said this crazy thing. Now you, intelligence community or DOJ or, or FBI or whoever else, you prove that this is true. Well, and you dispatched come up with this the White evidence. House counsel to go look for the possible FISA court order to what then disclose i guess right i mean this stuff is um, i mean that's interference in an investigation right exactly and it is and it is profoundly damaging to sort of basic perceptions of whether or not people recognize the government of the united states as legitimate i think this is sort of my i don't know maybe this is optimism or delusional uh but there, Trump again and again, you know, he, he runs over norms, he runs over, uh, you know, laws in some case, policies, other things. And, and the other branches are willing to move out of his way, right? The judiciary and the Senate because, and the Congress, because they don't, they want to avoid constitutional crises. And, and other actors outside the United States are willing to move out of his way because they don't want to have geopolitical crises. But, at the end of the day, whenever you have a president that just insists on pushing and pushing and pushing and transgressing and transgressing and transgressing, at some point, those other bodies are going to refuse to give way. And then we actually are going to have a serious crisis. Um, and that's sort of, uh, on one hand, um, I, I welcome that because that's, of course, the way the system is supposed to function in sort of checking and balancing. On the other hand, that's kind of the crazy nightmare scenario, right? That, uh, you know, Congress impeaches him or, or discovers something and, and Trump kind of says, you know, well, I don't I don't recognize that or, you know, let's right. let him enforce it kind of uh, kind of style response. And, and then, you know, the, the really, really extreme worst case scenarios start to feel more like actual possibilities. Well, we're going to talk more about this. <clears throat> um, 
Thank you for describing that hellish path we may be setting down. <laughs> it's fine. Or it'll be totally fine. One of those two things. <laughs> Whatever it is, we'll talk about it. Um, all right, let's move on to the next big story of the week. Um, right as I was joking in the newsroom on Monday, that it seemed like it was awfully quiet for a Monday, Tuesday rolls around and Julian Assange publishes nearly 9,000 pages of documents uh, that, uh, by all accounts as we can best ascertain, are authentic uh, CIA documents describing loads of hacking tools that the agency uses to break into smartphones, uh, bypass uh, encrypted messaging apps, uh, get into your computer, get into your smart TV even. Um, I guess my first question on this is, should anyone really be surprised that an intelligence agency is developing what? techniques? The CIA hack- spies on yeah. people? I mean, headline intelligence agency has tools to collect intelligence right right um now what is shocking is another intelligence agency loses control of its tools to collect intelligence again right um that but the substance of uh, of the contents of the documents strike me as exactly the sort of thing you would want and expect a CIA to have. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of how I agree, right, the story is that these were um, not just stolen, but leaked, right? So this is like, this is the new rules of espionage. It's mm-hmm. the DNC stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's it's the shadow brokers. It's now this sort of CIA WikiLeaks. It's that, you know, things that have always fallen within sort of the realm of ordinary espionage. Um uh, now this element of public disclosure is suddenly becoming part of kind of the weapon here, um, and and we are not equipped to deal with that exactly. Um, I that said, I'm hugely hugely skeptical of Wiki, uh, of WikiLeaks claims along a lot of different sort of metrics. Um, their story about the source of these uh, uh, tools that it's a sort of disgruntled CIA contractor and these things are being passed around and someone shared them with WikiLeaks. That doesn't really make any sense to me um, in part. Why not? Well, in part because um, every single person who sort of is in that community is under a legal obligation to uh, uh, report the uh, unauthorized disclosure or mishandling of classified information. So you're talking about lots and lots of people taking on uh, in, in, like personal criminal liability for something. Ugh, the idea that you have a big group of people and nobody feels the need to report it, that seems pretty unlikely to me. Two, if this is sort of a rogue insider, the notion that they would go to Wiki leaks um which has you know documented connections to russia um and uh people inside the intelligence community feel very very strongly about those connections and the role that wikileaks plays the idea that that an insider even an inside contractor would go to wikileaks as opposed to say the new york times the washington post the wall street journal to get sort of that type of yeah, attention thanks leaker that doesn't make any sense um it just doesn't make any sense to me and so and the other thing is sort of the way they are describing the person's sort of motives of wanting to spark this policy conversation. You know, look, what they've disclosed thus far are sort of relatively general information, kind of developer notes and and general descriptions of the tools, hugely consequential that they were taken and consequential that they were released, um, but not sort of the crown jewels. Most are marked at secret and not top secret. That also speaks to maybe it's just secret. I mean, just publish. But whenever I mean, look, WikiLeaks is claiming they have quote the entire hacking arsenal, right? right? And they're saying they have everything, and it's all secret. 
that doesn't make sense. Well, they also have said that they haven't released all the pages yet. But I agree with you. This is they are known for bluster. Exactly, they're known for sort of sort of exaggerating about kind yeah. of the substance and the significance of their leaks in the past. It would still potentially be the biggest leak of the CIA material. Exactly. So yeah. the question now becomes: Is do they actually have more, and is the additional stuff they have what they actually purport that it is? Right. So if it's uh, if if they actually do have the entire uh, target lists and hacking arsenal and every sort of thing in the CIA's uh, sort of cyber uh, center, uh, yes, the most significant sort of leak of intelligence probably ever, certainly more significant than Edward Snowden. Um, ugh, like maybe let's wait to see what they yeah. actually do, because what they've shown as of now, I, I think they've probably indicated that they have legitimate materials and i think that's what people are responding to but that's a different question than do they have the things they say they have okay so on a scale of one to ten where one is uh you know stuff that you can read in the newspaper and ten is uh the crown jewels the most explosive stuff in the world how do you guys evaluate the importance, sensitivity, significance, value to the public of the material they've released so far. Well, you mean do you, wait? You mean significance in terms of intelligence loss, or the public needs to know about it? Both. I would say intelligence loss, probably from what I've seen, a five. Because they didn't also they also didn't release source code, so there's no like telling you how to do it. And a lot of this stuff looks like things that. They probably got from NSA or GCHQ that are not really highly specific custom solutions. So if you and so if you had to evaluate it on the basis of public needs to know scale of one to ten, three. So look, I, I, I mean, think well, that, I mean, but I think it also think there's not a lot of harm in the public knowing. Uh, I, don't, see, I, I don't mean like we shouldn't disclose it. I only mean like I don't know that the public is going to gain tremendous insights mm -hmm. from right. this. Right. So, but I I disagree. Right. This has sort of it's um it's hit exactly the wrong. It's sort of it's maximized intelligence loss while minimizing actual sort of public revelation. So, uh, if the intention here is really to have a conversation about. Uh, the CIA uh, sort of use of the Internet of Things or, or other sort of legal authorities uh, in terms of hacking, um, saying uh, we have credible evidence that, you know, the CIA has compromised smart TVs, right? Um, that is all of the information you need to have or, or smart TV is manufactured by, you know, a foreign company or a United States company. You now have all the information that the public needs in order to have a debate about whether or not that is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, saying it is a Samsung TV, well, that's uh, less damaging than releasing the source code so that everybody can go and look and see if their televisions have been compromised or patch against it in the future. Um, uh, what it does is uh, for every target or possible target who owns a Samsung TV, um, they will get rid of that TV or they will stop having sensitive conversations in front of it. Now, Can I, can I just say it's been a really bad year for Samsung? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the phones explode. The TVs are working for the CIA. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, Not great. This company can't catch a break. They're, but if you sponsored Rational Security. Rational Security. <laughs> yeah, by the way. Samsung, if you want some good publicity, <laughs> we will say nice things about Samsung if you sponsor Rational Security. So, look, in some cases, it is the worst of all worlds because uh, you've given enough specificity for somebody to take 
countermeasures and specific countermeasures. I mean, everybody in the world, it's already sort of known as a general OPSEC principle that you shouldn't be having conversations in front of internet-enabled things. That's kind of any competent person trying to evade surveillance probably already has that information. Giving that additional level of specificity, though, does allow people to take more effective countermeasures. How damaging that is on a scale of 1 to 10 depends on who that target was and what information you were getting off of it. And that's the part that you really can't know. Um, And so it, it makes it sort of incalculable and this is in some ways used unfairly by the intelligence community, but there also is a legitimate basis of not only do you lose the ongoing intelligence that you have, um, you lose whatever future intelligence you might have had on a counterfactual basis. So when you have compromises like this and when compromises happen, there is demonstrable changes in behavior that occurs among targeted populations. Um, and anybody who says otherwise is, is either not familiar with the facts or, or, or not being forthright about the impacts of this stuff. Um, you know, anytime that happens, you know, it's it can be near impossible to know what the long-term consequences to US security is. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to our third topic. Um, North Korea. Well, Monday was not a slow news day, actually, in retrospect, because North Korea launched four missiles. Yeah, and kidnapped a whole lot of Malaysians. Yes, sort of a reverse immigration, an emigration ban, if you will. Malaysians may not leave North Korea. Um, It's been reported that the organization, the the military unit in North Korea that was involved with launching the missiles is charged with striking U.S. bases in Japan. So that's not great. Uh, This follows an incredible story, actually, by David Sanger, uh, in the New York Times on Saturday uh, that was short on details, but I think by design, uh, that the United States had for some time been using a uh, – had launched a cyber campaign to try and disrupt North Korean missile launches. Uh, rather, it seems like this this left-of-boom tactic where we're trying to force them to not launch or blow them up after they've launched, it's not entirely clear to me how successful that was, but it seems like maybe not successful enough to stop them from developing their missile program and firing off a number of missiles. Um, I don't know if they're reading the New York Times, but, you know, it's only two days after that story came out. Um, So where are we with North Korea right now? It seems to me like Donald Trump clearly has eyes on North Korea as a real problem. Barack Obama told him this is your big military issue, your major national security problem that Bad you're going to have to deal with. Bad or sick guy. Bad or sick guy who's tapping his phones. And he knows whether you took it seriously because he knows if you were talking about it. Right. He's like Santa Claus. He knows. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, you know, we've been talking about North Korea a lot, I think, on the, on the podcast as something that is looming over the horizon. This strikes me now with both the revelation that the Obama administration made this concerted effort to try and use cyber to disrupt this program, coupled with the fact that it seems this program is really accelerating rapidly uh, and Kim Jong-un is prepared to make a show of force with it. Um, it feels like North Korea is very hot right now and that we're coming to some sort of I don't know. Confrontation is maybe overstating it, but so you're, look, this is a far more advanced problem than it was a year ago. Right. So we are always on the point of confrontation with North Korea. And we've gotten so used to that that people don't really think about it that way anymore. 
But this is a country with very large numbers of artillery pieces and nuclear weapons pointed at one of the largest population concentrations in the world, which is to say Seoul. It is easy for them to hit another one of the world's largest population centers, which is Tokyo. Uh, and that's before they have the missile technology to reach, say, the west coast of the United States. So, you know, North Korea has had everybody over a barrel for a long time, uh, and they use this as a way to avoid accountability for the systematic murder and starvation of their own people in what is really the probably the largest mass atrocity since World War II, and certainly the one that has gone on the longest. Um, and, you know, that's the background condition. So what's changing now? What's changing now is that they seem to be getting better at the missiles thing. Uh, and that is a game changer from the United States point of view, because then uh, in principle, that means not only do they threaten our very close allies in the Asia Pacific region, but it means they threaten us directly. Um, now, you know, how to read David Sanger's piece Look, I don't know. The The gravamen of that piece is that there seems to be some Stuxnet-like uh, cyber attack on missiles. Uh, if that's the case, I say good. Uh, the failure rate of those missiles seems to be very high, but uh, David seems uncertain to what extent that's a function of welding problems and other problems in what is frankly not the best uh, manufacturing culture in the world, and to what extent that's a function of our interventions, uh, which uh, we've sort of talked about pretty publicly. And one of the most interesting things about the story is how much of the sort of left of boom or left of launch uh, concept has been discussed pretty openly in, uh, in congressional testimonies and statements. Um, but I think the, 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 the really interesting dimension of it to me is just, first of all, that it's happening. Secondly, uh, that it seems to be working to some degree. But third, like Stuxnet, uh, there's this question of it works for a while, but then they get wise to it and they start hardening systems and doing better cyber defense and, then you're kind of back where you were. So, I mean, you know, let's keep it going for as long as we can. Um, but we still do have this North Korea problem. And one of the problems with it is it's not one madman, Kim Jong-un, facing off against the United States. It's one madman, Kim Jong-un, facing off now against another madman, i.e. Donald Trump, who's almost as erratic and crazy as Kim Jong-un is. Yeah, I mean, look, the the big unknown here is is China and what they're going to have tolerance for. Um, they still are a highly relevant actor in the future of North Korea um, and will be for the foreseeable future, although may not be once sort of they're fully nuclear capable. Um, the, you know, one of the interesting things about sort of the openness of the discussion we've been having with North Korea or, or about North Korea sort of, you know, over the past year, six months, is um, it's starting to feel like a demonstration to the international community and to China that the United States has in good faith attempted to exhaust all of its options um, and that uh, we are systematically trying to avoid military confrontation. Um, that was one of the features of Stuxnet, right, that uh, 
purportedly one of the reasons why Olympic Games was authorized was in order to uh, uh, deter the Israelis or convince the Israelis to hold off on actually taking kinetic action uh, and bombing things. The Sanger story reports that um, uh, you know President Obama said, you know, hey, I would order a strike if I thought we could do it with any degree of uh, precision or if I thought it would actually work. Um, you, right? It's it's showing that hey, you know, we we really are in good faith trying to use all these options. They're still making progress. We don't necessarily know that it's working. Uh, then the question is. Uh, what comes next? Uh, what if the Chinese are unable to prove that they are able to keep North Korea under control? Uh, add on top of that the fact that the president of the United States is no longer a rational actor in this space. Uh, that is like that has all of the the elements for like a really good, really scary crisis. Oh, and it also has nuclear weapons involved. Um, so that's the. I, this is sort of the the nightmare of a Trump style presidency in which you have someone who is impulsive, uh, doesn't necessarily have a deep bench of experts, although it does appear that he's building one, um, and you know a, a really scary, highly consequential situation on his hands. I mean, those are the moments in which I think you just have to hope that. Mattis or Tillerson or sort of or somebody is the grown up that really has his ears on these issues um, because the alternatives are frankly terrifying. Do you think I mean, in all of this, I'm sure there's a body of, of <clears throat> research and writing on this to answer the question. But one of the things I've always wondered when it comes to North Korea is to what degree is Kim Jong Un a rational actor? I mean, is he pursuing a nuclear capability for all of the deterrence purposes, the kind of the, the, the strengthening that we see countries, you know, acquiring nuclear weapons for the traditional reasons, I guess, or does he really intend to use them? Because he must know, or does he not know, that if he ever uses a nuclear weapon, the United States and its allies will turn North Korea into a parking lot in 32 minutes. I mean, it's, it's an existential decision if he goes forward with it. So I think you can make a, a case for the North Korean regime as uh, evil, but ultimately rational uh, within the framework in which they're operating. But you also have to look at, at this person and always remind yourself that he shot his uncle with an anti-aircraft gun, right? And, and, and killed his brother with VX nerve gas. Right, exactly. And and so you're, you're, you're not certainly dealing in the realm of psychologically normal, um, I don't know the answer to that question. I will say that there is one source about North Korea that I trust a great deal, which is uh, if people don't read the Peterson Institute's Witness for Transformation blog, which is uh, written, among others, by my, my friend uh, Stephen Haggard uh, from the University of, uh, of, of California, San Diego. Uh, it is an amazing resource on on the Korean Peninsula and sort of uh, goes down and deep often and has, you know, inevitably you're dealing in speculation when you're dealing with that regime, but it, it, it's, it's very fact-based and, and, uh, he and his co-author do a really, really good job with it. And so, and so they would probably be on the rational actor within the realm of uh, Yeah, so I don't, I, I really don't want to speak for them, but I mean, I, but, but I think, you know, I, I, I think if I were trying to figure out the answer to your question, that that's where I would start. All right. Um, let's move on to object lessons. Do you want to start with object lessons? 
Well, my object lessons are two piles of manure from two different <laughs> kinds of animal. Um, so the first, the first object, the first pile of manure is a pile of bullshit. Uh, and, my favorite. Yeah. And that's um, – uh, last week, uh, Quinta Jurassic and I uh, – uh, Quintus, who's our resident expert on bullshit, um, we wrote a piece about the presidential oath and what it means – when the presidential oath is taken by someone who is uh, full of bullshit. And um, I, I, I think it's actually, I, I'm pretty proud of this piece. And I think it's a, um, uh, has something important to say about the Trump presidency. So I just wanted to draw readers attention to uh, that. And then once we're in the land of, um, you know, uh, excrement by, um, by you know large mammals um i found myself on a different podcast today uh, uh mike pesca's podcast the gist and um he asked me a question about something that, that the president had said and i found myself using the phrase errant national security horseshit and coining the um the acronym ench to describe <laughs> it um and i realized that Ench as a concept describes a lot of what I'm experiencing. Uh, these are like, you know, the president tweets something about his predecessor illegally wiretapping him. And I have this, oh my God, it's another, you know, errant national security horseshit moment from the president. And we've been getting multiple of them a week. And so I thought we needed a good, clean, or not so clean, term for it. And I propose, I just put on the table, I'm happy to yield to a better term, but I propose at least as a placeholder until we come up with a word for it, uh, the acronym ENCH stands for Errant National Security Horseshit. And, uh, and I think um, we, can, we, we should start using it. I'm going to start using it as a hashtag. Yeah. Um, and I urge others to start using it as well. It's a shame Excellent. we've had to wait so long for this acronym. Yeah, we need a word for it. We the, need it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the, I mean, this isn't the first occurrence. We also of needed it. an E on our podcast for this week, which we are definitely getting now. <clears throat> yeah, totally have one. For the explicit. Yeah, the E, the, the red E. Um, or I'll do my object now. Um, it has nothing to do with national security, but I just love this object. I have a ticket to the hottest event in town. What would you think I have a ticket to? I have a guess, but I don't want to steal your thunder because I think I might be right because I think I might have a ticket too. Oh! You tell me. You tell me. I mean, what's the hottest ticket every spring, Ben? Everybody wants to go. It's You're asking me? I, I, don't, I don't know these. <laughs> typically, I'm... it's the White House correspondent. Typically, it is, but I have a feeling you and I are both going to the not White House yes, correspondent. Yes, we are. Did you get one too? I got one Woo! too. What is it? Samantha B in full frontal, the not White House correspondent's dinner. Saturday, 1 p.m. at DAR Constitution Hall, bottomless cocktails and ass loads of fancy finger foods. So Samantha B., back before the president said he wasn't coming to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, decided, screw this, I'm going to do my own White House Correspondents' Dinner and call it the Not White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, and yeah, she's doing it and they're going to tape the show uh, that Saturday. I'm very excited. I'm so excited. Like, I could care less if I go to the White House Correspondence Center, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't matter to me. This, I really wanted to go to. Yeah. Plus, so I thank love you, ass loads of fancy finger food. You, sure you do. And That's bottomless just... cocktails? Bottoms and ass loads. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. 
There you go. No ench at this party. Mm-mm. No, because the ass load is of finger food. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good ass load. <laughs> anyway, All that's right, going to be fun. You're done. We'll talk. We'll talk about what we're wearing later. Oh, that brings us to the end of yet another filthy podcast. <laughs> this seriously is one of the dirtiest podcasts. I mean, it started with, ever with, with, with wiretapping. Wiretapping and you know animal our excrement. listeners are sitting on the subway right now, giggling to themselves, yeah, because yeah. they think it's funny. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, we're always this dirty. Yeah, and you're yeah. Well, <laughs> don't set their hopes too high. They might be into this. But Rational Security is, of course, a production of Spaghetti on the Wall Productions. You can find our show archive at SpaghettiOnTheWallProductions.com. Uh, you can tweet us at Assloads of Finger Food. I wish you could, <laughs> but you can't. You can only tweet us at RATL Security. If we could try to get that Twitter Twitter right now, though, that would be super awesome. I would really think I'm going to pause and go get that uh when you download the podcast from stitcher or itunes or your favorite podcatcher please remember to leave us a five-star rating and a comment um unless you're not into the like you know explicit language don't like don't criticize us for explicit language come on it's been a tough week we yeah. deserve a little yes. release if you're gonna criticize us oh, well, if you do for... leave a five-star review and you can criticize yeah, us, if you're but... gonna criticize us for explicit language then fuck you <laughs> Okay, this is seriously gone. All right, wrap it up, wrap it up. We're done here. (laughs) Our audio engineer, (laughs) who's reconsidering this position, this volunteer position, is Quinta Dresick. Our uh, producer and editor, X maybe, is Jen Howell. Our music was performed this week by Donald Trump and the Cross Wires. Yeah, the Tapped Wires. Tamara Kaufman with us, who is not here and maybe the only person employed deleting this episode as we speak. But wait, who's our Who's our non-sponsor this week? Everybody's not Everybody. sponsoring. We had sponsors. Week. They all canceled. Yeah. On behalf of my good friends Ben Wittes and Susan Hennessy, I'm Shane Harris. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Go wash your ears. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.